0: You're listening to Pastor Joel Trailer from New Life Fellowship in Shadyside, Ohio. With great blessings comes great responsibility. Today we'll be discovering the practical ways to understand giving and the tithe as we continue our sermon series on stewardship. Join us as we turn in our Bibles
1: to Hebrews chapter 6. A couple weeks back, probably been three weeks ago, we talked about um, how Abraham and Lot and how Uh, Lot had been taken captive after they divided up. They they said, hey, we're so blessed that there's just, there's not enough land for both of us. So you choose where you want to go, Abraham says to Lot. And he says, and I'm going to, I'll settle wherever you don't. And so that's what they did. And then it talked about that uh, Abraham didn't have a, he didn't have an heir in his home yet. It said, it says that, but he had 300 and, how many do you remember? 380 or 318? 380 men who are trained up in his own house. Though he didn't have a child, he was mentoring and he was discipling, see? So what he did is he had all these trained men. And when they came and they they raided Lot and took all of the, the women and children and possessions, everything, they took that and they, they went back to their, their their city. Then it says, Lot, Abraham heard about what had happened a lot. And he roused up his, his men trained in his own home. It says, and then they went after it. That's we said the first posse. Huh? And they went after that. And it says that got it all. I'll be reading that shortly, but here's what happened is in there. I found something for us to linger on. And that's the blessings of Abraham, because he's mentioned as kind of the father of faith in the fact that God had blessed him and God made a covenant with him and, God said, I'm going to do certain things for you. And right now you can't even fathom that. I'm going to give you an inheritance and I'm going to have your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars, the stars of the of the sky or of the sand of the shore. You won't be able to count all your. Okay, that's fine. That's wonderful. Sounds dandy. But guess what? As of right now, I have zero children. So how is that going to happen when I have nothing? Not a zilch. Zero. See? Isn't that hard sometimes? I don't know if you... Somebody told me about what a blessing it was to be a Christian and how I should go to church and why I should read the Bible and all these other things. And, you know, there were points in my life where I didn't see the value of it. I just, you know, we talked about pointless last week. Without faith, trying to live according to some law principle, it, it, it does become pointless. So what happens is, is the narrative that we talked about a couple of weeks ago um, with Abraham, I just want to kind of linger here. Here's what Hebrews six, let's read it together. It's right there in your bulletin, Hebrews six, eleven and 12, our great desire. I'm not reading it for you. I'm going to ask you to read with me. Ready? It's in your bulletin. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Wow, that says so much right there in that little passage. It talks about, I mean, that's our desire for you. You know that? I don't want you to be spiritually dull and indifferent. Do you know what that means? Does anybody, I want you to think about what spiritually dull and indifferent means. What do you think it means? Help me out. Apathy. Spiritually dull and indifferent. How about the idea that when you read the Bible, it it doesn't say anything to you? How about when you hear a preacher that you don't get anything out of his message and you blame him? Not a good preacher. He's too confusing. See, I, I love what one preacher said. It's the word of God. You don't get anything when the preacher, if he reads from... Not Aesop's fables, but he reads from the Bible and you don't get anything, you are spiritually dull. It's not the preacher's fault. We just got to own that and say, why is it that I'm not getting anything from the preacher? Must be time for me to go somewhere else. No, it's not. It's time for me to redouble my efforts at saying, God, please, I don't want to fit this. I don't want to be that statistic. I don't want to be spiritually dull and indifferent. Indifferent means I don't care what you say. I I believe what I believe and I don't care what you have to say. And I don't don't hear what you're telling me. I hear what I want to hear. And if I hear you picking on me in a Sunday morning message, I'm going to let you know. Maybe I won't say anything. I'll just leave. Wow. Hello. That's church. That's not the way God meant it to be. But that's what happens when we become spiritually dull and indifferent. We just have to own it ourselves because it happens this way. You will have the Holy Spirit speaking to you beyond what the the preacher's message will be. All of a sudden, you go off on a different track. Hey, I don't have a problem with that. I don't know that it happens most of the time. See, as long as you're getting fed and the Holy Spirit, he's taking something because to one person you can get on a Sunday morning where we'll somebody over here that just says, oh, that was the best thing that ever happened. Somebody over here says, I, if you keep preaching like that, I'm gone. And somebody over here just says, I don't even know why I didn't, I'm just totally nothing today. So you've you got all three areas and you're thinking, wow, okay. So keep your mind, pastor, keep focused on God. Don't worry about the applause of men or the praise of men, you know, I, I will move on their hearts. Trust me that I will not let that word, w, capital W-O-R-D, return void. So if it's returning void to us, folks, it may be that we're spiritually dull and indifferent. And what that might mean, indifference, you know what indifference looks like most? Indifference looks like stubbornness. It's kind of like God's been saying something to you and you're supposed to do something, but you just are, are being stubborn. You don't want to do it. And so what will happen is, is you're contending with God. You're wrestling. And the problem is, is your heart is actually getting hardened in the process. The longer you don't do what God says you're supposed to do. Wow, that's dangerous. That being spiritually dull and indifferent leads to a hardened heart. And eventually, same book, later on, Hebrews says, today when you hear my voice, harden not your hearts. See, because there was a day where that happened. So here you go. What's the most important thing you do with money? These are questions for you to answer on your own, but what's the most important thing you do with money? In church, it's good to say, give it to God. Yeah, we give it to him, amen? Have you ever gotten something for nothing? Huh? We stopped, when was it? We were, honey, we were on the uh, way up there was a guy. It was a simple thing. I just wanted to go buy a soda, and we were at a uh, one of those things up on the freeway, the throughway, the whatever that is, Ohio Turnpike. And I walked from the bathroom down to the vending area, and a guy standing there, and he's kind of fumbling around, and he moved from a soda machine out, and he's a young young adult, you know, probably in his uh, well, he might be like Joey, like your age or something. So it wasn't like he was just a kid, um, but. I looked and it was 2 bucks for a soda. i was thinking, wow, okay. Well, we are on this turnpike and it's not the best shopping place, not much choice. So, guess what? Demand, right? Drives it. So, I thought, well, I've got a couple extra bucks and I had uh, I had 3 dollars or so plus uh some change. I ended up giving it to uh the guy. I said I said uh, 2 bucks. I said, "Man, you got to like you, you got to be really thirsty." <laughs> he said, "Yeah." And I said, did you need money? I just had this impulse that says he didn't have enough. So he says, yeah, I just grabbed the change from the car. He says, but um," he said, no, that's all right. I said, we're here. I says, go ahead. I said, if I ever see you at another one of these little stops, he said, I said, you can, you can pay me back. Like, really, what's the chance of that happening, right? In other words, it wasn't that it just broke the ice a little bit. And he says, well, that'd be cool. He says, or he says, I'll pay it forward. I said, "There you go." Now I'm telling you, it was a buck. This isn't about me being a wonderful guy. It was just that I had a quick impulse. I'm going to say that the Lord said, and so I just gave the guy a buck. Guess what? I still had two to get my 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 own soda. But for him, do you know what what that happened? What what happened for him? He had a story to tell, didn't he? For a buck, he has a story to tell, and he'll tell that story over and over. To anybody who will listen, about some weird guy looked like a tourist wearing plaid shorts that day, but I didn't have I didn't have sandals with knee highs on. We saw a picture of Jack like that, by the way, recently. How cool was that? That's way back, Jack. Remember that? That's 30 years ago or something. I said, Wow, Jack, I'm gonna try to get this and I'll put it up on the big screen some Sunday. But hey, you know what? Everybody was doing that back then. You know what I mean? He was just a fashionista. (laughs) He says, I'm out of here. Hey, folks, we're waiting for for a time, any time where Judy's going to pass into eternity. You know? And uh, Jack, it's such a cool thing for him to be with us this morning because that's exactly what Judy would have wanted. One of the things she said last Saturday in the uh, week ago, she said, Pastor, I feel so bad that I haven't been in church. (laughs) I'm like, wow, come on. I love you, Judy. She knows that. She knows how loved she is. So, folks, uh, when that happens, we're going to post it on the city. We're going to try to to let us know because we're planning, I think, Jack, we've kind of settled a little bit on having some service here at the church. There's really, uh, it, it ought to be that personal because Judy's always been personal. So I'm praying that people will come back out of the woodworks. People who've left the church, people who've, who've been, before I even got here, they, they left, but they, they know Judy. So we're praying for that reunion, amen. Well, here's a, uh, keep on going. Do you plan or pray for success? Did you know it's okay to do that? For you to plan or pray for success? For you to be glorified? God to be glorified in your life and part of that is success and sometimes having things um, uh, I'm not talking like success of the world but success because it helps me to bless others it helps me to be a resource for others a blessing can be the a, a sound mind sharp be having wisdom having being a, a great counselor having being able to memorize certain things, being able to remember people's names. You know, when having getting greeted by somebody that knows your name, that's a very important thing. That's a blessing, see? Plan, do you ever plan or pray for success? And would you say you're a blessed person? And why? Just think about why you're a blessed person because sometimes the devil comes in and tries to get us to be thinking about all the reasons we're not blessed. To get us to thinking about all the things that we need or all the things that have gone wrong or bad in our lives. And that's really just trying to steal the glory from God. That's what He's what He's trying to do. Take your mind off of the blessings of God. So, are you blessed? Why? And check which statement. I have a plan for money. Two, it, money takes care of itself. How do you live your life? <laughs> I'll tell you what. If you think money takes care of itself, I got news for you. You look at the compounding interest for what you pay for interest versus compounding interest that they pay you to keep your money. (laughs) It isn't even close, is it? Does anybody know what the going savings rate is right now? Point what? Point one six for savings or that might be checking. And 0.25 for savings? Wow, that's puny. Remember the days we had a CD that was, uh, I think it had uh, earned six point some percent. Remember those days? (laughs) You better buy somebody groceries with that three cents. (laughs) So let me ask you a question Would others say that you are a blessing? Would they recognize you as a blessing? Now, here's the deal. You ought to live your life with the goal of being a blessing because that will make you desirable. That will make people want to be around you because when they're around you, they are blessed. And I'm not talking about stuffed blessing. I'm not talking about dollar kind of blessing. I'm talking about a blessed life, blessed fellowship. It's fun. There's joy. It's encouragement. There's a matter of you're linking arms together and, and you have a camaraderie. There's this there's this sense that you can't get from too many people. Sometimes we only have one or two are like that. I pray that you have that, especially in our relationship. That's who Arlene and I are. And what about the last one says, do you ever argue about money? Do you ever argue about money? What do you think? How does that go? When you argue for money, does it usually lead to something good or bad? (laughs) bad, it leads to something bad normally. Guess why it leads to something bad? Why would arguing about money generally lead to something bad? Yeah, (laughs) you get your way, you go in debt. Usually that's what exactly, the reason we're arguing is because we're not in agreement and that's usually a good thing because Arlene and I, when we get in trouble, it's when we're in agreement about spending money or going in debt. See what I mean? So it's good to have some opposition and what is important for you in the midst of opposition about arguing about money is for you to recognize where you want to yield because what it is is it's called selfishness. Both people wanting to win. One of you may be more right than the other. The one not wanting to go in debt generally would be that person. Okay? But it's important because the reason we have enmity between us is because we're not walking by the spirit, we're walking by the flesh. And the flesh has its own appetite. See? A recent survey asks uh, American Christians now, people who consider themselves to be Christians, in the past six months, how many times have you made a decision to obey God knowing it may cost you something? A Real survey asking people in the past six months, how many times have you made a decision to obey God knowing it may cost you something? Before I give you the results, let me ask you Anybody in the room who's obeyed God in the last six months knowing it was going to cost you something? You did? We're not boasting. We boast. If we boast now, we boast of the Lord, okay? So just so you know, we're not being arrogant. Look at me. Can you want to share it or no? Amen. Cool. And then... We find out his promises are true. Yeah. Anybody else? Last, yes, George. Yeah. Wow. So you had to make a decision to obey God, knowing that it was going to cost you. It would cost you friendship. It would cost you um, lifestyle, maybe. Some things that you wanted to do. By the way, NA means what? Yeah. Narcotics anonymous. Um, They're not anonymous. They know who they are. See, the problem is George is how old? 17, buddy? Yes. George is here because he wants help. George is here because he's, uh, he's seen the fruit or the benefit or the lack thereof of going the way he's gone, which is the way of the flesh, doing things that made him feel good. So right now, there's a big argument in America about pot. Have you noticed that? Colorado legalized pot. They're calling it medicinal marijuana. You know, they've got all these benefits. Well, I used to smoke pot. I, I know firsthand what it does. Um, it didn't make me a good person, let me tell you that. Made me a dangerous person. Got some of the worst injuries I ever had were, uh, were because I smoked pot. Lost control of who I was. I thought I could almost fly. So there's some things just lies. And you know, those people who take us there and then they're not there when we get in trouble. That's called fair weather friends. Anybody ever have any of those? Fair weather friends? Yeah. So George, thank you for that. It will cost you, but in the long run, the way we, when you lose your life for Him, you do gain it. Amen. Thank you for that. We're going to be asking for for us. Amen. We're going to be asking for uh, for the, this church and people to be helping George. As a matter of fact, just following through. He's been he's been kind of um, through the years. He's been here and back. But we're gonna we're gonna press you to really. Put your nose to the grind if you will, amen. Thank you, Jesus. So what about somebody else? Anybody else had something? Yes, sir. You wanna share it?
0: Make decisions that uh sometimes affect your bottom line or like commission and so forth. And so I run it, I run into that a lot
1: where I have to maybe, you know, make a decision and sometimes you I'll just uh, take the customer and say, well, I, I, I don't want to get involved with that. And, and I try to explain it to him why, but sometimes they don't want to hear that. Yeah. So you just have to, I'll just walk away, I guess. Yeah, and that's called integrity. Right. And so integrity costs you something because it, it, it would have been easy to make some sort of, you know, side deal, some sort of grease the palm kind of thing. See what I mean? Um, that might hurt your company. So that's good. Well... Here it is, the responses of American Christians, by the way, not talking about foreign countries, we're talking about America, talking about people who profess to be Christians. In the past six months, how many times you've made the decision to obey God knowing it may cost you something? The responses, 37% noted zero. 37% of the people said in the past six months, they haven't made a decision to obey God knowing it'll cost them something. 36% said two times. 14% figured three to five times and 13% stated six or more times. Meaning whenever God tells me to do something, I do it. So in this case, 13% of the, those polled said six or more times. Now there's no way of verifying that because Christians lie sometimes. How about just pulling an arbitrary number that they don't really remember, but uh, probably like six. So, you know, take that for what it is. But the point is, is asking you that question. Has God told you to do something and you just weren't willing to do it because there was a cost associated to it? A loss of friendships or benefit of maybe time, commitment that way? It will cost you something. It should. You know, Abraham's tithe, remember we, we left it that he tithe. He gave 10%, the biblical word for 10, that, that is 10%, a 10th, tenth—before his before he had an heir. See, he didn't have an heir yet. God spoke to him about all these blessings he's going to have, but, but he gave the tithe after the victory. The, the family he had was Lot. So what he did is he went after it. He went to the enemy's camp and he took back what they stole. And I'm going to read that passage here shortly just as a refresher, that one little verse. But, you know, before his heir, remember what he did in his own terms is he said, him and Sarah says, well, it ain't happening. God said you're going to have a child, but it hadn't happened yet. So, uh, Abraham, just lay with your concubine, Hagar, lay with her, and go ahead and have sex, and let's have a baby. Well, that's not what God said. God said, Sarah's going to have a baby. I didn't tell you to sleep with somebody else. Sarah, what are you doing? Bible does not record all that. It just tells about Ishmael being born. And then Ishmael and Hagar end up getting rejected. And by the way, Ishmael is many times, we associate Ishmael with the beginning of the Muslim or Islamic arm that comes out of Abraham. You know, we both trace our, our origins Christians do all the way back to Abraham and so do uh, Muslims. So traces back to the same to Ishmael who is not the son of promise, but he was the showed man's efforts. I'm going to fix this myself. They said, and God said, I'm telling you, that's not what I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless this. I'm going to bless Isaac. I'm going to bless Sarah's womb. So that represents its own thing. Before the law, before Moses, as a matter of fact, in Hebrews, it actually says that Levi was still in the loins of Abraham. See, Levi was the biblical priesthood. So the, the law was represented, carried out through the priesthood. So before the law existed, before Moses existed, before Levi existed, before the law, Abraham gave a tithe. Before the cross, obviously, because we're talking Old Testament, before the cross, there was this guy named Melchizedek, the high priest, it says, and, and it's actually related that this is like a type of Christ because it gives you that he had no birth, he had no origin, he had no family, he had no way of tracing the guy, yet he's here. And so he's representative of, of Jesus. So in Hebrews, it actually makes a tie-in that Melchizedek and Jesus are of the same calling nature product. They're here as a priesthood. They're here to represent. So it ties Melchizedek, Old Testament, Jesus, New Testament. And guess what? When you give, you're given to God. You're not given to a church. You're not given to this man. What you do is you're recognizing you're giving to that, which is what God has established. So before the cross, do we have that YouTube uh, video? How many of you seen this Volvo commercial? It's two minutes. We'll see if we can't run it real quick. This is a Volvo. It's a true story, but I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. Volvo made it really good for them, but we're going to uh, we're going to hear the rest of the story. 1966,
0: June 30th, 1966 was a warm day, sunny with optimism. That's the day Irv Gordon bought his Volvo P1800 and began his journey. Since then, Irv has driven just about every road in this country and logged nearly 3 million miles, all in his Volvo. And for every mile Irv's driven, there's a reason to believe. Just ask anyone who drives a Volvo. That's how you act when
1: you have a Volvo.
0: started millions of miles ago, or it's just starting today, your path is unique. There are millions of reasons why Irv Gordon was able to drive so many miles in the same car. But the number one reason? It's a Volvo.
1: Now, that's that's not really... What Gordon uh, or what Irv Gordon said is because it's a Vovo. You know what he actually said? It says that this was uh, September twenty two thousand thirteen. 2013. It, it hit 3 million miles somewhere in Alaska. He's 74 years old, a retired teacher from Long Island. He's driven every mile himself. In 1998, he made the Guinness Book of World Records for most miles driven by a single owner in a non-commercial vehicle when his car hit 1.69 million miles. What's the most you've ever gotten out of a car? You know, I wonder. Well, he said the secret of his car's longevity is in the glove box. Gordon told reporters, I read the, uh, read the owner's manual and I serviced the car just the way the book calls for it. I figured the people who wrote the book are the people who built the car and they should know. Imagine what might happen in this world if everyone viewed God's word the same way. Uh, If we actually just did what it says, scheduled maintenance, a matter of letting his word literally be daily bread for us. Amen. Let's go to Genesis 23. Now, Sarah, she was an old woman. Say, she was. She lived 127 years. That's what verse 1 says. 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead And spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, hear us, my lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let, it give, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of his city saying, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field, accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham saying to him, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Can you say we're having an argument here? No, I just want you to do it. I'm going to give it to you. Nobody of our relatives would withhold it for you. They'll give it to you. Just take it and bury Sarah. No, I can't take it. I've got to pay for it. That's what Abraham's saying. And then, no, please. And they stand up and they're both making their argument. Do you hear them before the people? Wow, we're arguing and what? Abraham is teaching us a valuable principle. Do you know what it is? He wasn't looking for a handout. He wasn't into entitlements. Huh? I feel entitled. Somebody owes me. Well, I'm a prince of the land and you thus shall honor me by giving me the choice of burial places for my bride. No, that's not what he said. He's like, I'll pay for it. Tell me what it's worth. What's it cost? I'll give you the money for it. Why? I'm willing to do that. So verse 16, Abraham listened to Ephron. And Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah which faced Mamre, the field and cave, which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its borders were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Metphilah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. We're talking about way back in the beginning of time, we're talking about a principle that still applies today. Do you see what I keep trying to do, folks, is show you how relevant the Bible is than when it talks about paying for a grave site, when it talks about a cemetery plot, when it talks about an inheritance, when it talks about the value of paying for something, why should it cost me nothing to have my, my wife honored in a burial plot? That's the same spirit as what David later on said, wait a minute, I'm going to make an offering to the Lord and you're going to give me the land and you're going to give me the sacrifice and it's going to cost me nothing. I won't make a sacrifice that's cost me nothing. Do you see? But in our culture, what's happening is people are looking for something for nothing. Even I like something for nothing. And sometimes I'll really try to apply my trade and you know what it leads to? It leads to what's called the poverty spirit. A poverty spirit goes around and it tells its sad, sad story to enough people that somebody's going to bless them so they'll shut up. See? So you go around talking about it instead of getting a job. I just read a post as a matter. This is dangerous. Just read a post. Somebody who's wanting to know if there are any jobs in the area. Are you serious? You want to find that out, what, on Facebook or on YouTube or on how about going out and starting to get a job? I would come into your place of business if you're a business owner and I, I would say, I need money because I've got obligations and I, I need money. I want to know what I can do that will serve you and serve your purposes and you'll find value in hiring me that will make you a better business. I, I'm willing to work for whatever. I'm willing to give you a day or two free just to show you what I've got and then see if you want to hire me. I just need money to take care of my family. I'm not going to stand out and waste a bunch of time holding a sign up that says we'll work for food. I'm going to knock on doors and I'm going to say, do you have some work I can do? I'll do the grungiest stinking things that you got here that nobody wants to do, that you can't get your paid employees to take care of. I'll come in and take care of that stuff for you. I'm just asking you for a decent wage at the end of the day. And I'm not going to tell you any more about my sad, sad story. Why? Because that's manipulating and that's what, what that's con man. Huh? How about you begin to say, Lord, I'm willing to work. You gave me a good strong back and you gave me strength and you give me stamina. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work for what I get. I'm not expecting for something for nothing. That's not really, that's become the American way, but that's not really the American way. That's not what we were born into. I love my nephew, Kevin. Many of you know Kevin. He just bought an old red pickup truck. I saw it a couple weeks ago when I was up there. It's really got some rust on it and some things like that. But he bought it. And you, you know what he said in the post this morning? He said, I bought it, not my mom and dad. You want something? Work for it. That's what it said. That was his post. Little Kev. You want something? Work for it. Yeah, stop asking for a handout. Don't go into that poverty spirit. Sometimes that's a financial thing. Sometimes that's a can be an emotional thing. Sometimes that can be a spiritual thing where we go around, oh, my life, oh, it's so hard, it's so hard. And we have this poverty spirit instead of the joy of the Lord on us. Hey, instead, it's like he says about fasting. Don't go around with this face on. If you're fasting, it might be that you're fasting a blessing. You're waiting on a blessing right now and you're just in a hold pattern. And God said it's coming. You just you just wait for it. Uh, Sarah? No, no, he's not sleeping with Hagar. That's not what I said. You wait for it, Abraham. Sarah's womb, the old lady's going to she's going to have a child. 90, how old? 95? 90 years old? Somebody remember 90 years old, she's going to have a child. Oh, serious? Do we have anybody 90 in here? I can tell you Louise does not want to have a baby right now. <laughs> down, in, uh, down at the care center. Okay? So here it is. It's deeded over. How about that? The idea that you purchase land and you pay money and there's a deed. Do you hear something? There was a deed that's transferred over that shows ownership of a property. That's a modern day reality, isn't it? So we have the word of God that actually still talks today. Here's, here's what happens. Everything, it says in Ecclesiastes eight says everything is wearisome beyond description or vanity. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. You ever been there? I say sometimes that's what's happened to modern day Christians. We just keep hearing stuff. We just keep watching stuff. We keep reading books. We keep getting stuff, and then we're not giving it out. We're just being sponges, but we're not giving it out. Well, the power of a sponge is that it it's able to take in and give out. So here's what happens out of his life, Abraham's life. He it results in action, not talking about it, but but doing it. See, we're to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So that means there should be some action out of my blessed life, don't you think? So here he is blessed. You know what he did? Out of the result he had was the spoils of war. There's an action of worship as he gave to Melchizedek, as he recognized Melchizedek, and he bowed himself. Even to the people here, it says that he bowed before the people. He humbled himself before the people. What? You ain't doing us no favors. I'm going to pay you for the acreage. I'm going to pay you for the cave. But he humbled himself. He, they said, you're a prince among us. Have, have your way. You deserve it. You hear that in America any today? You deserve. You deserve Labor Day off. No, you deserve to work extra on that day. And you will, most of you at your homes, doing something. If you're like my wife, she's giving me a big list of things to do. How about this? It's an action of honor because it says that he gave to one greater than himself. And that was, was, was Melchizedek. I'm going to show you the story real quickly. It's, it's actually part of the extension from a couple weeks ago. It's in Genesis chapter 14. I want you to see this because it connects these things. It was an action of obedience and it was an action of humility because that's what he did. He bowed down. It actually says he honored another king in this, in this, in this one passage. How about this? How about when you look at giving, for example, of of your time, of your talent, anything you have, it's an extension of faith. If you say you have faith, show me your faith by your works is what James says. See, it's an extension of faith. Giving doesn't take faith. It exercises faith. See, that's what you just did. It didn't take faith to give. It takes, it it just, that's, that's actually, it's exercising it. You did it before you said anything about it. See, that's a faith principle. You don't wait to get it, then to give it. You recognize that faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what the scripture says. It's an extension of success. You share your success. We just watched, what was it, uh, Millionaire? There's some guy on there about, he's the, the millionaire in disguise. Anybody watch that program last week? It's kind of like the boss thing where he's undercover. This is millionaire undercover. And so he goes in and he lives in poverty and he lives like average Joe and he goes and serves and volunteers. And at the end of the program, then they showed that he was actually a millionaire. And it shows that what he learned, the lessons that, that he actually learned growing up. But now he's reminded of them, of what it does to give of himself. And so he ends up writing out checks for 25000 here and 30000 there and 10000 there. Folks, most people who are successful, you'll find that they're great givers, which might tell us something about if we're not successful. It might tell us that if you stay and you sow seeds according to your own package size, you never outgrow your own package. The idea is to open that up, take the limits off, and be able to live larger than who you are. That's what God calls us to, to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could even hope or ask, and we can do that because of him. Share your success. It's an extension of lifestyle. 380 of his own people. He was used to discipling. He was used to sharing his life. He was used to feeding and taking care of other people. Though he had no children of his own, he had 380 men trained up in his own household. It meant he took some responsibility for a bunch of people that, hey, they should be able to do this on their own now, shouldn't they? No, not always. Always. Sometimes it takes those who know how we need to give that and impart that to people who don't. And the people don't need to humble yourselves and say, I need help. He was a mentor and he was a teacher. And how about the idea that it was an expression of gratitude? Well, this came out this last week. Joel actually shared this with me. It says, uh, we're a generous country to, to purpose. Meaning when we have something that we were going to give to the, 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 the the fund for Haiti or, uh, you know, world hunger or whatever else. But on the whole, we're stingy. Overall, only 2.9% of income is given to charity. In the church, less than 20% of attendees tithe off their income. It's generally held at 17%. That means 17% of the people actually tithe. That doesn't mean put money in a basket or drop some change in or whatever. Even you might think that you're being generous, there's a method to saying how the tithe is figured. The tithe is a 10th ten, or 10% of fruit, inheritance, success, blessing, profit, or yield. See, so they used to do grains and they used to do animals and they used to do all kinds of things. That's not, that, that's not the way we do life anymore, is it? We don't, we don't, sometimes we barter, but we don't really bring all the grain and 10% of the crop in. So what we did is, is just like the modern-day farmer, you sell that produce, you gain a profit from it, and then you give a tenth of that to whatever entity. So income is any financial benefit that a person receives. That's how I've, I've given you the definition. Now, listen to these types of income. This might surprise you. Wages, tips, inheritance, insurance, annuities, dividends, or capital gains, Profit from real estate or investments. The example, it would be a sale of a car for profit. 10% of that goes to God. Maybe you don't think about it that way. Well, let's say I named this guy Jim, G-E-M, sold his car for 2,000 bucks. He owned it free and clear. He wrote a check for $200 to his church because of his benefit. Just the way it works. I'm not gonna take the time today, Joel, for this uh, whole illustration, but I've got a big illustration on the house. Do you do you have the numbers down? Do you remember what that was? Yeah, for financial peace, it, it'd be a great study of how much your actual house costs you. Do you have any idea of how much your house actually cost you? How much interest did you pay? If you paid it outright, you saved a whole bunch of money. In the illustration Joel gave me, after 20 years, let's say 30-year mortgage at 7% because now it's low, it's four and a half. But back then, on the average, it's been 7%. So that's $86,500 is the average median price of a home in Belmont County. Now, I paid 60000 for mine and then put another 20, some 30000 into it. <laughs> I don't still don't know if I got the value out of that, but that's what it cost me. So... Go ahead, Joel. Give me just—I don't need the natural gas cable. Yep, don't, yep, yep. Just pass all that.
0: So, uh, raise your hand if you took out a 30-year mortgage.
1: 30-year. 30 30-year.
0: 30 Not—not as many as I thought. Okay.
1: How many have a 50-year mortgage?
0: 15. <laughs> you guys took a. 15 or Year or 20, 15, 20 year. And s- okay, I'm—I'm I'm, uh, the rest of you must have paid outright for it, which is awesome. Good for you. Um. A 30-year mortgage, you get the lowest monthly payment. And uh, the the Belmont County average, $86,500 house. Um, After about 20 years into making those payments, you've actually paid $138,117. You still have 10 years to go, by the way. Um, And you've actually paid $101,181 just in interest. And you still have 49564 to go. That's just 20 years into your 30-year thing. Now, that's at 7% interest. 6%, you would have paid $84,000 instead of $101,000. Big difference 1% can can make. Uh, so that like, refinancing your house is worth it in the long run. Um, overall, with your property taxes and everything else... Uh, he had me base this on the average income in Belmont County is $40,000 a year. That's uh, $20 an hour. And so after 20 years, you made $800,000 gross income. That's, that's just the average for Belmont County. And when you take in that, you're in the 15% tax bracket. So 120000 went to government. You paid sixteen thousand for property taxes. That's based on like eight hundred dollars a year, which can be high or low for depending on where you live. Um, in Belmont County, last year the average family spent thirteen thousand dollars in retail sales per year. Per year. So when you average that out over twenty years, that's two hundred sixty thousand dollars that we poured into retail. I don't know what that includes. Shoes. Uh, <laughs> that's Closed a lot of shoes. Food. I don't mean just shoes, but you know, retail. Um, <coughs> you've uh, you've taken one hundred thirty eight thousand uh, in mortgage payments. You've I've averaged things out. You got about eighty thousand dollars in utility bills, and you spent about thirty two thousand in basic home repairs. And uh, that's based on a rule of thumb that you spend about a dollar per square foot. That you have to maintain a year, um, so 1,600 square foot house—that's $1,600 a year. You should anticipate on basic maintenance for your house over the long run. Um, and then in 2007, which is a while ago now, AAA calculated that the average person spends $9,600 a year for the privilege of driving. And That summarizes the cost of gasoline, maintenance, insurance, license and registration, loan finance charges, and depreciation costs for a variety of vehicles. But that's based on gas being two twenty-five a gallon in two thousand seven. Um, but but I just took that you know nine thousand a for year for twenty years. Uh, for twenty years, you end up putting one hundred and ninety almost one hundred and ninety-three thousand dollars in twenty years in cars and. Um, I don't know it depends on what you do. the average American trades their car in every six and a half years, and uh, our subtotal you know in twenty years we made eight hundred thousand dollars gross and after all these expenses of how a typical American spends their money your ex your expenses are actually eight hundred and sixty one thousand dollars so you're the average Belmont county citizen sixty one thousand dollars in debt after twenty years of owning their home um, and the whole point behind that is nowhere in there was giving to charity. You know, but it, was, it was tithing. Um, it, it's amazing how, much, how, how little we have when we try to take and, and make use of 100% of our income when really it's not our income, it's God's money, and we're stewards of it, and he lets us use 90%. Now, how much more your money goes when you're faithful with that 90%? than when you try to hoard the
1: 100%. So here it is. $800,000 gross income, how much would Pearl have given to the church for a tithe? $800,000 gross income after 20 years. 80, a tithe is one-tenth. So that means she would have given $80,000 to the church. Remember? but she paid $120,000 in income tax. In other words, we paid Uncle Sam 40000 more than we gave to charity or God, right? We paid $260,000 in retail sales. We paid $80,000. We paid the same amount in utility bills as what we would have tithed over a 20-year period if you made the average $40,000 a year, see? So my point is this. Sometimes how we look at things can, can make a difference for us. See, so in this case, I said Pearl sold her home for eighty thousand. She didn't owe anything on her house. She paid sixty thousand for her home originally, not counting the interest she paid. Okay. She gave a tithe from her real profit fruit or blessing, which would have been twenty thousand dollars. She gave ten percent of twenty thousand. She gave how much to the church? real easy when you do that 10% thing. So not off of the 80,000 total price, just off of the profit, see? Because all of her life she was tithing, so she didn't have to tithe off of the original, she just tithed off of her income. Then she tithed off of her blessing or fruit, the benefit she got when she sold it at a profit. So she was willing to pay X amount in interest to borrow, have her home financed, taxes, maintenance, all those things, the real cost of ownership. And she made this this X amount and she gave this $70,000. See what I mean? So in the end, after 20 years, she gave $820,000, $802,000, sorry, to the church. I'm sorry, that was her income. She would have given $82,000 roughly for a tithe. What I'm saying is, folks, you can look at it like, gosh, well, if she hadn't tithe, she would add $82,000 But you can also look at it like, where did, where did she get that resource and income to begin with? And the health to have it and the longevity in the job to have a secure job for that length of time. So is it home ownership really a dream or is it a nightmare in disguise? Some of us would look at it and say, hmm, I'm not sure this is such a good deal after all. Just a thought makes me want to be Amish. Well, here, Monet received an inheritance from a rich uncle valued at $39,000. She wrote a check to her church for $3,900, and she gave God an additional offering slash gift of 3900 for various charities or a special ministry in the church, the benevolence or the building fund. Monet received an unexpected inheritance or windfall of 39000 and she was blessed. She gave 3900 to worship God and another 3900 to honor God and to be a blessing. She was still ahead by $31,000. Do you get the point? She received an inheritance, something she didn't work for, something she didn't deserve or earn. She had it that was extra income to her, and she decided she was going to be an extra blessing and give more away, and she still netted out $31,000. What did she do to earn that 39000 Nothing. It's just the way God will work. If you'll be on his side and you're doing things the way he wants it to be, recognizing he owns it all, he will bless you. See? says, what is it? Why do you lust and you don't have? You murder and you covet and you can't obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So that's what James says. What he wants is God wants us to recognize that he owns it all. Let me finish with that end of the story out of Genesis chapter 14. Remember, it says that when Abraham took his 380 men out and he, he gained this, he says he brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative lot with his possessions and also the women and the people. And we said, he not only went in and got what was lots, but he also got all the other possessions, all the goods. He brought back all the goods, meaning even those it's called the spoils of war. And so we left it hanging there intentionally, but here's the rest of the story. Verse 17, then after his return from the defeat of Chertolamer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the Valley of Shavad, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. That just sets you up for Hebrews reading later on about more about Melchizedek. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him then, Abraham, he gave him a tenth of all. Wow. The king of Sodom Sodom said to Abraham, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God, most high possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear you would say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Aner, Eshgol and Mamre, let them take their share. So in other words, Abraham took all the possessions so that he could bless someone else. And he offered them to the king of Sodom. In other words, he restored it back to the one whom ultimately they were stolen from, both Lot and the king of Sodom. Do you see when he had the opportunity as a victor to just keep it all for himself? He could have determined how, what he's going to do with it. But instead he bowed, he humbled himself and says, here it is. You're the King, King Sodom, King of Salem. You take it. And then here's what happens. I love this because if you keep on reading chapter 15 picks up this way, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. See, some of us are on the cusp of a great reward and God's just waiting for us to be obedient, to recognize him as the source of all blessing. And if we'll do that, look at what happens next. Abram said, "O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my own house, uh, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then it says in verse six, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And here's my closing challenge. Pay it forward. You can either live your life making restitution, which means having to pay back for stuff that you did wrong, pay people back for pay them with interest, or you can consider your life as an investment that you're going to make an investment. So like the old song says, let's give them something to talk about. How about let's give them something to talk about. For example, that that guy for a buck at a soda machine says some guy just came up and I didn't ask him for the money. He offered the money this unique or even strange encounter with someone who did something to bless me, a stranger. Pray about who you're to bless. Keep your eyes and your ears open and be ready to be a blessing. How about you go into the day instead of looking for what you're going to get, you're looking for how you're going to give. And it could be a matter of helping somebody I saw there was a couple with a pickup truck offered to help them to load some fence sections in their truck the other day at Lowe's. Because it's a woman, but but it's kind of like Colleen. It's what she reminded me of. You're like I can handle that. I'm tougher than you, pal. So this woman looked at me like I've done some in inser- some disservice. She says, "No, no, I'm I'm fully capable." I said, "Well, I can see that." Bless your heart. I left. But I I offered. She didn't have to get, you know, splinters in her hands if she didn't want to, but she was capable. But the idea is offer, be a blessing by doing something like that, literally helping the old lady across the street, maybe. And don't take credit for blessing someone. Do it and make sure they know it was God's idea. You see, it's okay to bless people. You, you can don't, don't be anonymous Totally. Don't, you don't have to say, hey, well, I'm part of New Life Fellowship and Pastor Joel preached a message and I'm just honoring God and him and I'm, I'm giving you for now and the website is timefornewlife.com. No, I don't want you giving a business card. I don't want you. No, do it and say, they'll, they'll say, well, why'd you do this? Because God told me. Do you know it might open a conversation for them to ask you about you? So you think God talks to people? Do you know what it'll do? It'll open up opportunities. It'll be that they'll take that and they'll talk about it. Becky, I saw a post on the city this week. Somebody knows of a need. They evidently did something to bless you. They know who they are. They did it anonymously. So they bless Becky. When Becky's on there and everybody reads a post on the city saying, well, I wonder what happened with Becky. Somebody blessed her. Well, that's cool. If that's you, then don't go around saying, yeah, that was me. It was it was quiet, but I just had to tell. No, you don't have to tell. How many of you got this bill this this thing? You get sales flyers in the mail. This is Aaron Rents. I don't want you to show me your hands if you get anything from Aaron Rents, um, but uh, you should you you'll want to reconsider. Uh, we just something caught my eye here. I just wanted to call your attention to it as we close because this is the way it works in the world. Okay. There's this wonderful double oven down here. It's a Maytag, double oven range. You know what that is? You can cook two things at the same time, ladies. Two different temperatures. Two different time settings. I think everybody should have one if you can pay cash. If you can afford it without going in debt. Here it is. It says right on here, by the way, uh, they make them put this on. The everyday low price is $902.99. 902 dollars for that double oven thing right there, brand spanking new. And you know what? You can have it. You can own it after 24 months at 89.99 per month. For 24 months at only 89.99, you can own that. Will somebody do the math for me? $90 times 24, $2,160. You can own that stove that you could have paid $902 for but it only costs you 90 bucks a month. Well, not everybody has credit pastor. And to that, my father-in-law said, if you don't have the money, maybe you shouldn't be buying it. I've got a washer and dryer down in Joe's garage right now. It's not a matching pair, but it works. Anybody need a washer and dryer? It's not a matching pair, but it works and it'll cost you nothing. Cost me a hundred bucks. Didn't? Oh, okay, it costs Arlene a hundred bucks. I don't want money back for it. If I can be a blessing to somebody who can use it, then, then let me know. We'll make arrangements, you can have it. Washer and dryer, it's electric dryer, okay? It's an okay, decent washer, still works. Do you get the idea? There are things that the world will tempt you and they'll draw you in and they'll convince you that this is a good deal. And it's only a good deal for one side of the equation. It's theirs, do you get it? Hey, look for how you can be a blessing. We're gonna be bringing you some other cost-saving things and some things for you to consider. That's why we hold loosely to this life. That's why we invest ourselves so we live a life for the rewards of heaven, not the rewards of this life where moth and rust come in and destroy. And see, the more we invest into this life, it's it's just fodder. In the end, we don't take it with us and we, we, we may end up not being able to bless as many people as we could bless. So folks... Be, be encouraged with that. I love what this pastor did. Uh, what's his name? Crazy Love. Francis Chan. You know what he did? He sold his house. I think he might have done the math. And he said, I want to be more available to be a blessing to God's people as a pastor. Hey, don't be surprised if I go selling my house. Oh, I got to live somewhere. Oh, yeah, you got utility bills. But I'll tell you what, my air conditioner's running down there at home right now. And it doesn't need to be on. See, we just get sloppy. Well, here's the thing. Choose this week to be a blessing. Let's just lift our hands. Could we do that? God, you're the one who fills them over and over. And God, I think about all the monies that passed through my hands in, in all of my life so far. I think I've made more than $800,000. I'm a millionaire and I just, I just didn't ever recognize it. So thank you, God, that I'm a millionaire. I was a millionaire. God, I wish I would have put millions and thousands into other people's hands and been a blessing beyond myself, beyond my own boundaries. So God, I pray that today you take from from a long message that you take the depth of the reality of what it is to live a life of faith, that God trusting you with everything, looking to you, not amassing, not building more storehouses, not renting more storage space, but Lord, literally come into the place where where I live, uh, I'm free and I'm unencumbered. I'm able to move about the country. I'm able to go overseas. I'm I'm able to go to to the places where you would call us. So help us, Lord, to get unstrapped, to get unsaddled with debt. Help us, God, that we might honor you and and serve your purposes, and Lord, that we might be found bowing ourselves. So God, give us this week beyond a tithe. Give us that we can be have an offering that we can give to those who are in need of our time, of our resources, God, our abilities. We can give, we, we can just give, maybe it's a word of counsel. Maybe it's a hug. Maybe it's, it's just a little bit of joy in a moment. So God, we come before you and we, we just say that we're desperate that way for you to help reorder our lives, God. And we thank you that you'll direct our steps this week. You'll open up our ears so we can hear our eyes so we can see who it is that you want us to bless. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. You've been listening to Pastor Joel Trailer from New Life Fellowship in Shadyside, Ohio. This message is titled, The Responsibility of Blessing and Success, part three of our stewardship series. To learn more about New Life Fellowship and our service times, visit our website at www.timefornewlife.com. Join us next week for part four as we discover the spiritual gifts God has given us and how to be good stewards of them.